Shelly, you know how much I love programmatic advertising for recruitment. It saves so much time and effort in trying to figure out where I can get maximum exposure and value in advertising my jobs. Yeah, for sure. It is a game changer. And you know who I love too is AppCast. They are the leading programmatic job advertising platform that helps you reach the right candidates fast. Definitely. AppCast advanced targeting and real-time optimization technologies make sure that your job ads are seen by the most qualified candidate. Plus, they have a team of experts that's always there to support you and make sure you get the best results. It's so true, right? AppCast has just got the nicest people on staff. They're just a pleasure to work with. And tracking your job's performance in real time is the other big plus. Being able to see exactly what's happening, what's driving the applications, where they're coming for. And at the end of the day, it's about making hires. And where else can you expand your reach across 30,000 sites? Your candidates are everywhere online with AppCast. Your jobs will be too. So check them out at appcast.io. Welcome to the Recruitment Flex with Serge and Shelly. I'm Serge. And I'm Shelly. And we talk all things recruitment starting right now. Bonjour and welcome to the Recruitment Flex. Shelly, how are you? Serge, I'm doing great. Thank you for asking. You know, as part of our practitioner series, today we have a guest coming to us from one of my favorite cities in all of the United States of America is Boston. So I'm very pleased to welcome Nancy Dries, who is the CEO and founder of a company called The Carry Group. Welcome to the show, Nancy. Well, thank you. Thank you for having me and hello from Boston. Welcome. So we are going to dive right into this, Nancy. One of the things we love to hear is people's journey into talent acquisition or into HR. It's often be called the accidental profession. So share a little bit about yourself. Help us understand how you found your way into the talent acquisition world. It definitely was the accidental profession that you speak of. Like a lot of things in my life and probably others, it was never planned, but certainly glad it happened. And I've been doing this for longer than I'd probably like to admit for about 30 years now. If I go back in my history, when I got out of college for about six years, I was working in the restaurant management profession and loved it. But there came a time in my life where I really needed more normalcy with hours. I was starting a family. So I had the brilliant idea that I was going to change careers and get a Monday through Friday, nine to five job. And somebody suggested I went to a staffing agency and put myself in for some temp work, gain some office experience and make myself marketable. I was super excited for my new endeavor and put my suit on and went in and interviewed with the recruiter there. And I thought it went famously, but At the end, she basically told me that I was not marketable because I had no experience. As you can imagine, (laughs) I was pretty deflated. (laughs) So went home and took a few days and decided, okay, well, I always have determination. So went to another staffing agency and I was pleasantly surprised that they saw that I did have some marketable skills and asked me to join their team. So I did. 
and started working as a recruiter and stayed with that staffing agency for over a decade in numerous positions, managing offices, managing divisions, did very well, learned really everything there was about recruiting. And I really knew from day one on that job that this is what I wanted to do. I got a lot of satisfaction from, Mm -hmm. and still do, from recruiting and helping people find better careers and better situations to fulfill their lives and their career goals, because that's where I was at when I went into one. It was full circle for me. But I um, love that. That's awesome. I love that. Tell us a little bit more, though, about Vakari. And I do need to know a little bit more about the name. Yeah, it's funny because when I left the agency world, there was a lot of things that I didn't necessarily agree with. So I had a short stint three years in the startup space with the technology company and learned a lot. But then they had some product problems. So I wanted to take a little bit of time and determine what my next step was. So I took a contract role. And the minute I switched my LinkedIn profile to a contractor, all Mm -hmm. of a sudden I started to get a ton of interest from startup companies that did not have internal infrastructure around recruiting and saying, hey, can you help us? Next thing I knew, I had six jobs, figured out there's a need here, started to hire people and formed Vacari Group. And then I was tasked with, okay, what's my model? What's my name first? So didn't want a name that had attachment to an agency because we're not an agency and did some research. And Vacari is a combination of Italian and Latin, and it means that there's a vacancy. And so that's what we were doing. We were filling that void for startups. And now you said you're not an agency. Define that for us, Nancy. Yeah, yeah. So Vacari Group is a consulting firm. And we have a very unique model that saves our clients on average about 50% off of the cost of hire compared to agencies. We remain white label. So we assume our client's brand and we basically insert ourselves as their recruiting team, as part of their company. And we work on their behalf, but we come with all of the infrastructure that would be very costly for them to put in place at the startup phase. I get it. So tell us, when you look back over the course of your talent acquisition career, because I love how you went from agency, try your hand at startup, and now come up with something that really answers a need in the market. But what was the most important lesson that you learned over the course of your career? Well, I learned a lot of lessons, but probably the most important to me because it was the most difficult one for me to admit (laughs) and, and to address is that I need to acknowledge what I don't know and what I'm not particularly good at and to hire people that excel in those areas. I'm so fortunate that I've hired such an amazing team and each member of that team brings their own significant value to our clients. We just have such a great combination of skills and able to provide the highest level of expertise and services to our clients because of that. And it is really difficult for entrepreneurs like me to give up control, but my team definitely makes that a lot easier. Great. Thank you. So curious, looking at your recruitment career, what's one thing about the recruitment field that almost no one agrees with you about? I so love this question. 
And I wish that I had the opportunity when I was starting my company for somebody to ask me this. We could have done an entire show on it. I'm sure of it. (laughs) So when I started my company, there were so many things, like I said, that I wanted to change about recruiting. That's why I developed this unique model. And when I talked to some of my recruiter friends and told them this was my mission, I think there was a, a lot that probably said that I was crazy. So my answer is that our recruiters are not the same. And unfortunately, there tends to be a stigma out that recruiters don't really understand the roles. They're money motivated. They want to make a commission and not really care about the quality hire. And if you ask my clients, I think I'm making a difference and making that perception to be untrue and that there are so many recruiters, whether it's in my model or an agency or corporate that really do care about their clients and really do want the best results for them. You guys, I know have been in recruiting, so you you probably Mm -hmm. understood coming Mm -hmm. from that. Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that most of your recruiting is in the tech space. Is that accurate? Yeah. So I'd say most of it is. And we'll work with any startup or emerging company, but we do a lot in tech. We do everything from renewables to climate tech, clean tech to software. Most of the time, what ends up happening is our clients will bring us in because there's a huge deficit in the tech market and they need help, but then we'll stay with them and we'll help them build out their sales and marketing group and their customer success and professional services. But tech is usually where we start. Yeah, I was reading an article that you recently wrote about the importance of the recruiter of understanding your company's tech stack, especially when you're trying to recruit a software engineer and your main part of your tech stack is, say, Python compared to Kotlin. It's going to be a different candidate. What tech stack should a recruitment firm like yours have in place, in your opinion? Yeah, I think we have a really cool solution for that. Because we integrate ourselves so deeply into our clients' culture and team, there's usually one of two ways that this happens. We have our own system, which people probably know, it's called monday.com. And we provide our clients a link to their own portal so that we give them full transparency on everything that's happening with their open roles every second of the day. It's not uncommon for a client to have an ATS and we will actually work in their ATS. It's also not uncommon for us to help on a consulting basis, our clients to implement an ATS and to educate them on the importance of having that data and that tracking. As part of the Vacari Group team, we have a full operations team that helps with things uh, along ATS implementation and other operational and best practices. What ATS do you recommend the most? Well, I personally like Greenhouse, but depending upon the client's budget, it depends what they need, right? Some just need bare bones and we've used Jazz HR. Greenhouse, I think, is my favorite, but those are the two that that I typically say. I hear that you have some secrets in terms of growing remote tech or engineering teams. Anything you can share with the audience and let us in on? Yeah, it's a challenge and it starts, at least in my experience, 
getting the hiring leaders into a different mindset and strategy for any change in the talent market, especially when you know mm-hmm. people are working remotely and you need to offer that. And the pandemic has definitely changed the way companies can attract talented engineers and really any talent for that matter. And most engineers are opting to work remote. If you don't do that, you're leading at least 50% of the market that you can pull from. It really is a strategy and a plan, and it doesn't just start with offering remote or only offering remote. First, you need to grab the attention of engineers. These engineers are getting inundated with recruiters. So making sure you have a compelling message when you're trying to source them, making sure they have a great candidate experience and it's efficient process and you're not asking too much of them in a very tight market. And then it really comes down to once you can grab their attention, get them to accept an offer, the onboarding, the Mm. communication, the recognition, the tools that you're providing to them to collaborate with team members, all of these things I've seen and helped my clients implement and seen success. It's really about giving them that collaborative environment. If not, it's risky. Yeah. Nancy, are you taking a look at how they onboard before you go to market? And is that something your company helps with? Because I think that's the big missing link for companies who have not really thought through, "Mm, yes, we now have access to talent from anywhere in the world, but if they don't have a good onboarding experience, they'll quickly go back to the three other companies that had offers on the table. So what do you do? Do you help them with their onboarding? Yeah. So when we do our intake, I really try to get the entire picture, obviously what they need for talent, but then what are we doing with this talent? What does the interview process look like? What does the onboarding look like? I advise and consult with that. If I feel a client really needs significant consulting on it, I have a group of trusted advisors that are very focused on the onboarding and HR piece of it. And it goes back to the other question of lessons I've learned, trying not to be everything to everyone. My expertise is finding talent, recruiting. So Mm -hmm. I've developed a network of really strong HR people that at times I'll bring in as part of our project and helping the clients. Awesome. Thank you. You did mention in there one part of your process as far as getting the talent is grabbing the attention of those software engineers, which can be very challenging as you you pointed out. They were inundated with LinkedIn requests, different reach outs from recruiter. Do you have a special, unique secret sauce or message that you leverage that will actually grab their attention and talk to you? Yeah. It changes for each situation. And I think that is one area that recruiters sometimes don't really look at or take the time to invest in. I have software engineering on my LinkedIn profile because I recruit software engineers and I'll get messages from recruiters saying, hey, you look great software engineering position. So it's really taking the time and understanding what the candidate is doing, what coding languages they're using, what you can pull from their profile, and then sending a compelling message such as, hey, I see that you've worked in XYZ. 
industry. We have this great new technology. We have this tech stack. I see that you've used it before. It's pretty cutting edge. Would love to have you talk to one of our engineers and learn more about it. Engineers like to talk to engineers. They get very excited about technology as they should, which is why they're in that role. It's all about the messaging and somehow trying to rise above all the noise of all the rest of the recruiters. Mm, Nancy, awesome point. It has always been my experience, whether it's software engineers, mechanical engineers, electrical engineers, you could name any discipline. And I will tell you their goal is to speak with their peers. And it's almost like they've got their own Mm -hmm. little language or something, right? On behalf of our clients, we'll go to events. And thankfully, post-pandemic, those are starting to come back and we'll go and represent our client company. But I won't go if I can't get the engineers to come with me because I'll say, these engineers don't want to talk to me. They want to talk to you. So I'll drag a couple of engineers along with me. (laughs) Nancy, is your approach different recruiting, obviously, in America and Canada compared to recruiting tech talent in emerging markets? Yeah, the fight for talent exists everywhere, but I think the important piece is that no matter what market, whether it be US or Canada or any other international markets, even for any industry, climate tech, IoT, AI, you need to get creative. There needs to be a plan that addresses the specifics of the audience that you're looking to reach, right? So I see it all the time. More and more often, the growth of these emerging markets and industry exceeds the talent. You need to go to other either geographies or markets and diversify your sourcing efforts. And I think the most important thing that I've learned when doing that is not to just jump in and think what worked in one market or one geography is going to work in another. You really need to understand the talent landscape and what is important. Is it the mission? Is it compensation? Is it company culture? Is it flexibility? Is it a combination of all those? Again, we're consultants, so we really tailor each market, each industry, each role, each geography to what's going to make sense and not to be repetitive, but grab the attention of the candidate audience that we're seeking. On that note, Nancy, is there anything that you found really surprising? There's always this assumption that maybe software engineers in Chile want something completely different than software engineers in Toronto. Is there anything that you found to be kind of a myth buster about what's important to talent in those, call them emerging markets? Definitely, it's different for different markets. What I've seen with my clients, let's say Brazil, for instance, I've found even writing job descriptions, what grabs people, you know, Mm -hmm. is advancement opportunity. It's the same with diversity recruiting. How do you get your foot in the door with a really cool tech company? And how do you have that advancement? There's different motivations and different geographies. You know, I've recruited for renewables in the UK and they are very focused on work-life balance their holiday is their holiday and they don't work. And maybe us people living in the U.S. should probably take some advice from them. But I have clients that when they're gone, they're gone. They're gone at four o'clock on Friday and they're not going to answer an email till Monday. So it's definitely exists. And one of the 
keys to success when you're recruiting in these different places is to find out what that is. It could be a combination and most likely will be, but there always seems to be patterns that we can uncover, even if they come from when we start to talk to candidates and you know why they're not interested. Some great tips there. I want to switch gears here a bit because I know the topic that seems to be everywhere is the use of chat GPT or other tools in terms of automation. Share with us your opinion on that human touch, reaching out, speaking, dealing with a human versus using tools like a chat GTP or chat bots or artificial intelligence. Yeah, it is a big topic. First of all, I'm a huge fan of anything that can make an industry or a process or anything more efficient. However, when it comes to recruiting, there's simply some things that that can't replace the human interaction. I just feel like it's really important if a company is going to consider moving to a more automated recruiting strategy that they really take a look at it and look at the things that might be concerning. Immediately for me is removing human judgment. What I like to call the recruiter's gut because I definitely have that. That means when you're talking to someone, you can usually tell if they're going to be a cultural fit. You can usually tell if they're genuinely interested in the opportunity and excited about it. And while AI tools can be really great for analyzing data and Mm -hmm. getting useful conclusions for decision-making, it doesn't pick up on those important non-technical nuances like culture and values and things like that. And then on the opposite side, I think it can be off-putting for candidates as well, especially engineers it's everything you can do as a recruiter to get an engineer to talk to you about an opportunity. And if it's a automated situation, we lose people when we ask them, even when they're excited about opportunities to do an assessment, because they know they can go to another company where they don't have to do it. I think it's useful, but it's important not to lose sight of kind of that human factor. I so agree. Absolutely agree. Thank you. So Nancy, one of the things that you just mentioned, and it's kind of going back to the top of the questions is software engineers or anyone in tech right now, obviously we see the news, we see how many layoffs, and in most cases it's hitting the tech industry. Are you finding right now that software engineers or anyone in the tech space is more responsive to your reach out than they (laughs) were, say, nine months ago? I've definitely seen a little bit of an uptick. But that response is usually the poor victims of these layoffs. So then you have to pivot a little bit as a recruiter and a hiring manager and really dig into the motivations of the engineers who maybe wouldn't respond before and really weed out, are they looking for a job and I'm going to invest in them? And then when something better comes along, they're going to leave? Or do they genuinely want to work for us? Again, when the market changes, you have to change your approach and your strategy. That said, I would say it's still very tight Mm. and very competitive. Perfect. I want you to take out your crystal ball. I'm looking for your thoughts. Obviously, we've seen a lot in the last couple of years that's happened in our space in recruitment, HR. Any predictions that you might have for the world of work for 2023 and beyond? Sure. 
just shined off my crystal ball, so we should be good to go. <laughs> <Drum All right. laughs> yeah, one of the things I think that's going to remain, first of all, is that desire for work-life balance and remote opportunities. That's going to be important to potential employees, candidates. I do strongly predict that there'll be a rising significance in diversity, equity, and inclusion. Over the past 12 months, I've seen a significant rise in hiring initiatives around that pool of candidates. And I suspect that will continue to be an area of focus. And Lastly, I think the remote piece and the work-life balance desire, companies will pay more attention and develop more programs around creating that water cooler conversation atmosphere in order to have effective remote teams and promote collaboration. Yeah, I think it's going to be really interesting because like specifically the one that you mentioned around remote working, we're definitely seeing the trend going the other way. The latest survey that I read that there's only 8% now of jobs that are advertised on LinkedIn or Indeed that are remote, which was almost 50% a year ago. Do you foresee organizations having trouble getting people back in the office? I foresee it and I'm living it today. Mm. I have clients that they want people in the office and they're having a very difficult time finding qualified engineers that will do that. Then you run into, it's taking them a long time to hire, which costs them money. And their employees are being overworked because they don't have enough resources. So again, it's really changing the mentality and strategy. I I think that the best case scenario in this market is to give people the opportunity to either work remote, Mm. hybrid, or some people like to go to the office five days a week. Giving all employees, no matter what their function is, equal opportunity to manage their work and their life as long as their results are there. That to Mm. me is the best case scenario. I agree. I agree. Thank you. Nancy, this was fantastic. I really appreciate you coming on the show. If anyone listening wants to get a hold of you, what's the best way to get a hold of Nancy? Yeah. So they can email me directly at Nancy, N-A-N-C-Y at vacarigroup.com, V-A-C-A-R-E group.com, or visit our website at vacarigroup.com. Perfect. Well, thanks again, Nancy. This was a pleasure. Oh, thanks so much. It was super fun. I appreciate your time. Thank you, Nancy. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. Do you love news about LinkedIn, Indeed, Google, and just about every other recruitment tech company out there? Hell yeah. I'm Chad. I'm Cheese. We're the Chad and Cheese Podcast. All the latest recruiting news and insights are on our show. Dripping in snark and attitude. Subscribe today wherever you listen to your podcasts. We We out. out.